0: Check one, check two on the mic. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live, March 22nd. Not even the 15th. Let's get rid of that. Hey everybody, I'm Dave using founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I think last week I said there wasn't going to be a stream. And frankly, enough has happened. And Al Ewing's Storm of the Brotherhood, number two, is so flippin' good There is going to be a stream. Here we are. Thanks to those of you pouring in live. Love to see it. Thanks for joining me today. Get in your questions and your thoughts in the chat as we go. As always, be respectful to those around you and we'll have a good time. Super Chat is open and available if you want to get your question prioritized as well. Final thoughts here before we get started. Spoilers. We'll definitely follow today. It's going to be so spoilery. So super spoilery as we talk X-Men, Sins of Sinister Storm and the Brotherhood number 2. That's one of the comics that came out today. It is, frankly, the comic that came out today that we're going to spend a lot of time with. Marauders number 12 also came out today, wrapping up this Volume 2 of Marauders. The death of the Marauders, I think, uh, as we will see here moving forward. But we've also got a whole bunch of teasers for Fall of X and things to come that have come in the the past week or so. We can talk about that a little bit. Uh, We can talk about Jonathan Hickman and Grant Morrison showing up on the X-Men 60th anniversary special last Thursday, as well as the very mild trouble I got myself into (laughs) tweeting about that event. Uh, So we can talk about all those things and more. We've got some questions right off the bat, too. Let's see, JD asks... Who knew that The Rock was playing a version of Black Adam as a villain behind the scenes at DC? <laughs> yeah, a uh, lot of drama. A lot of drama on the DC side. No shocker there. My my main thing... Listen, I, I haven't seen Shazam 2, and frankly, it's unlikely that I do. Um, I also haven't seen Black Adam uh, at all. And, like, it, it is super available on HBO (laughs) like like it is incredibly available um I have not bothered I'm not anti superhero movies I I keep up with all the Marvel stuff obviously I am a superhero fan listen I like comics more than than I like the adaptations across media nine times out of ten okay we all know that uh I'm not anti-D.C. Super not anti-DC either, right? I had a Where to Start with DC Comics video that just came out on the CBH channel recently, as well as uh, this week, probably tomorrow, I'm going to put up my 15 favorite DC comics of all time. So you're going to get that list uh, in video form on on the comic Crowd YouTube channel. like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff if you want to see that. Uh, unimpeachable, 15 best DC comics of all time list as well. Some of you should be... Uh, if, you, if you're like, what, what are the 15 best DC stories? I just want to read the good stuff. I got you. I got you covered. Don't worry. You can see all of them right now if you just Google the best comics of all time and find the comic book herald list. Uh, but of course, that is everything, not just filtered by DC. I will follow up with DC, uh, with the Marvel version of the 15. I'm saving that one for after the fact. No, no, no. Like, I, I listen, I like DC comics fine. I'm I, The reason, you know, basically, my take on this right now is they have no vision. (laughs) They have no structure. They have no vision. They are in a post Justice League malaise. And unless the individual movie is unique enough, like if, if it is a movie that would benefit from the structures and rigors of a shared superhero universe, um, right now it is just not going to get that clearly. Uh, you know, and I think there are versions of this where like If it's doing enough on its own terms as a movie, like I liked the James Gunn Suicide Squad. That was a fine watch by itself. I didn't go see it in theaters, right? But I enjoyed it plenty. The first Shazam was was fine enough. I had a fine time. Um, But I'm good missing this. But it's just like people getting, you know, caught up in in the hoopla of this mess of DC movies. It's like, we know it's a mess. We've known it for six years. (laughs) Like there's no secret here. It's why they just hired new heads and you have James Gunn announcing essentially the rebooted slate that is to come in 2025, right? We are very clearly in a holding pattern here until the reboot happens in 2025. So I I genuinely don't understand folks who are like like I understand the frustrations um or the impatience, and like that's a long time to wait if you're a huge DC movie fan. Uh, but but as it stands, like <laughs> like clearly. Clearly we we're awaiting Shazam two was not going to be the spectacular moment or, you know, at best it could have been a fine moment, but disconnected from, from what it should be, which is a part of a cohesive DC universe. So yes, it's kind of a bummer uh, that all that, I mean, it I saw a lot of like, you know, hot takes around like oh, superhero movies are, are done now after, you know, quantum mania was a bust and, and Shazam two is like an actual bust. <laughs> it looks like, um, listen, if guardians three, which comes out in May has like real problems and is critically maligned and does poorly. Then, then I'll be like, okay, we're yeah, we're actually in. I think probably a moment here where there's a there's a genuine superhero fatigue, specifically a fatigue of movies that are just not that good, right? And it's super easier said than done, obviously. Uh, but it's like if you're if the content If the superhero genre is pumping out middling fare, audiences will get tired of that. Of course, of course, right? It's not a magic bullet to just say it's a superhero thing, and that that is somehow going to miraculously succeed. The success of the MCU is because, on average, the stuff's had a really, really low floor, high floor. Don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's generally been very good, right? The movies have done well. And but and oftentimes, more often than not, they've hit. I mean, from like what? Like two thousand basically post Avengers from like 2013 through I mean 2019. What were they hitting? Like 75% higher? You know? I mean, finding the the whiffs, you know, they stand out because there aren't that many of them. Uh so anyway that's a long winded way of saying I'm not fearful for the prospect of superhero movies. I do think we are genuinely in a moment though, where it's like we are in between the things that people are most excited for. Um, On the Marvel side, like, let's be honest. That's the build to X-Men, Fantastic Four, Dr. Doom and whatever secret Wars is right? We are in the middle of a build to that. So it's like, everything is like, like, listen, Scott Lang. I mean, how many people are out here like craving Scott Lang? (laughs) And I don't mean like thirsty for Scott Lang, like do you, but like, just that's not the hook that some of these other franchises are. Okay. It's just not same with Shazam and the Shazam family. All right. I'm not going to like disparage their good name, but there aren't that many like golden age Shazam. Yeah. Go back. Do that wild Mr. Mind stuff. Get those auto binder comics in your system. That's some great comics history. Um, but like we're not talking Shazam today. All right. So anyway, the rock is a nefarious villain in the DC universe. There's a ton of drama. I did say it's too bad that like comics press doesn't have budget at all <laughs> for anything because a, a ESPN style 30 for 30, 30 series and just like the DCEU drama. Oh man. Like I would eat that up. Like who here would not watch, you know, a five part series that's just 30 for 30 docudrama on all the behind the scenes drama and baggage of everything that's happened in the DC universe over like the past decade on the film side. I mean, come on, that's definitely just purely on the like, Give me that gossip level. (laughs) It sounds incredibly entertaining. All right. Enough about that. Um, Listen, if you saw saw Shazam 2 and you're like, no, it's actually great. Like, yeah, sure. like uh, (laughs) That's fine. You can have that opinion. Uh, I have not seen it. I have not seen it and I just don't plan to. I, I just don't have the space and the capacity and the desire to be fighting so hard to keep up with everything anymore that I am like putting myself in situations where I'm 80% confident it's going to be a very average experience, right? I would rather take a chance on things that I think I have a better chance of genuinely appreciating and enjoying or more often than not reading comics instead. (laughs) Right. Um, so yeah, good, good thought to start this out. Got me going. Uh, Hey, we got a lot of people who poured in while that was happening. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, We will be talking comics today, I promise. Uh, Okay, Marcos asks, here we're going to dive right into the comics. Thank you, Marcos, for the question. Have you noticed that the year 100 of Sins of Sinister had all three books, we have all three books out now, year 100, year 100 is complete, building a messiah, Mother Righteous in Nightcrawlers, Exodus in Immoral X-Men, and Storm today, in Storm of the Brotherhood, and creating a hero, Wagverine in Nightcrawler's Rasputin the Fourth in Immortal X Men and Iron Fire in Storm and the Brotherhood. I'm gonna be completely honest. Who is Iron Fire? <laughs> I read this comic. I read this comic once, and I skimmed it another time. Not that up to speed on code names yet. Is that the guy who was flying an X Wing who got approached by Mother Righteous? That would be my guess. Could not have told you his name was Iron Fire, <laughs> but I like. I like your thinking here. You know, the other cool thing that I did not notice until today in Storm and the Brotherhood, number one, is uh, it made me laugh that opening Star Wars crawl, you know, we saw Ewing do that lead into um, the first issue of Storm and the Brotherhood like that. But it made me laugh this time how directly Ewing is clearly doing the Star Wars trilogy. Like, he's doing Empire Strikes Back. If you just replaced Hoth with whatever the planet was in this, it was like, you know, beat for beat, the same kind of approach and the same kind of thing here, to the point that Orbis Tellaris's big climax is expanding their gold orb into a Death Star, and the Brotherhood have to X-Wing their way inside to destroy it, or, in this case, allow Storm to magically create a wormhole that sucks up Orbis's progenitor form and plans for dominion. Just a sentence that makes sense in any context, anywhere you say it, to anyone. Um, but what's cool about all that is it, it's an homage, and it's clearly even having fun with the Star Wars of it all. And at first I was kind of like, oh, that's really cool. And then I saw some people mentioning on Twitter, like, apparently every book is doing this. <laughs> and I, I'm just oblivious. Gillen's Immoral X-Men is doing Star Trek. Which, looking back, especially at the second issue now, I guess all the year one hundred issues. I don't know if it was super clear in the first issue, um, but like, yeah, it's a Star Trek riff. You got everybody in their captain outfits, setting sail to you know explore the the vast cosmos. The harder one is definitely Spurrier, just in general. But like, the harder one to connect the dots with with uh, Nightcrawlers is like, okay, what if we got Star Trek and we got Starfire, or we got Starfire, we got Star Trek and you got Star Wars? What's the other? Touch point. Um, I mean, I see a bit of Dune, but that might just be because I'm still doing a Dune read and I'm on the Heretics of Dune and I'm kind of seeing Benny Jesuit everywhere, honestly. You know, so we got our mothers and we got our religion. So I'm seeing some Dune ish stuff. Uh, obviously, we're playing with chimeras and genetic mixing. There's a, That's a lot of Dune in there. But like, I don't know. So you tell me. You tell me. If we got Gillen doing Star Trek and we got Ewing doing Star Wars, what is Scy Spurrier doing in Nightcrawlers? What do you think? What do you think? Because I, I, like, E-Wings is, not, is no accident, right? If Gil Star Trek was too subtle for me to pick up, and he probably doesn't think that he's being subtle, um, E-Wings is just a hammer to the head, right? With, I'm doing Star Wars. Uh, so I have to think this is a thing that is planned that they've talked about. And it's frankly quite fun. Uh, it works in that, you know, we have the Empire of the Red Diamond. We have a literal empire. We have an actual Death Star in this issue. <laughs> like, there are plenty of clues here that this stuff is happening. Uh, and it's pretty enjoyable. You know what else was pretty enjoyable? Storm, and The Brotherhood, number two. Man, this comic ruled. Oh, man, this comic was good. Al Ewing is really good at X-Men comics. Really good at Marvel comics in general. You know, it, a few weeks back, I don't even know when, but I was kind of lamenting or or just teasing out, like, you know, it's kind of a bummer that, uh, that Ewing doesn't have, like, a knockout creator-owned series. Like, this seems like, given how much I love his Marvel Universe stuff, you know, it seems like they should have their creator own stuff in the works because they've been doing this for enough time now that it's like you want them to have, or I want them to have that thing that elevates their profile to where all the comics greats, you know, they have this, right? When you think about who are the best writers in comics, you think about their contributions to the big two, but then generally speaking, you think of their best work as stuff outside of that, you know, stuff that is creator-owned and that they did on their own. Grant Morrison might be like the biggest exception because personally, I actually prefer their a big two stuff, generally DC universe stuff to their creator owned works. Not always, but often. Um, and I think Ewing very much fits in that mold potentially. And I know, I know there's the boom series. Um, we only find them when they're, when they're dead just hasn't hit for me. It's been a thing that's like right on the fence of like feeling like, okay, this, I feel like this could be great, but it never has been. I I prefer the Marvel universe works valuing a lot more, frankly. Um, all of which is to say, after reading this today, I was kind of like, you know what? Maybe we're good. <laughs> like, maybe it's okay for Al Ewing to just be the best at Marvel Universe Comics. Like, like, how about we just enjoy that? How about I just celebrate that um, and allow for that? Because hot dog, he is good at comics. I mean, this, this issue is stellar. This is the best issue of the year 100 issues, I think, by far probably the best issue of The Sins of Sinister so far, which, again, if I've, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, this is going to make a hell of a hardcover. Put all this together, it's going to be a real nice package on The Sins of Sinister. Um, somebody raised the the question today on Twitter. I think it's uh, CJ Garcia, I want to say. Apologies if I got that wrong. I'm trying to do off memory. Um, but but they were basically like, it's a shame Ewing's runs you know, keep getting interrupted because if you put together the Ewing X-Verse, I would take it over the Hickman X-Verse and in an omnibus specifically. And I I actually think we're at the point now where like, what would you rather have? The Al Ewing X-Men omnibus of everything collected. So you've got Sword into, oh geez, now I'm blanking on the series that X-Men Red, and the Sins of Sinister work. Maybe some other stuff I'm forgetting. Uh, And then you've got Hickman obviously kicks things off with House and Powers, which supersedes anything that Ewing has done. But then you get a a much more convoluted, you know, smattering of of X Men comics and those giant sized books. It is not inconceivable that within another year of doing like X Men Red, if Ewing, you know, true his word does stick around and do that, that I'd be like, no, I'd I'd rather have the Ewing X Men omnibus. Like like if we're talking a thousand pages of comics. Right. If we're talking consistency and greatness over volume, I think Ewing is going to have a better resume in this era than Hickman because Hickman left. You know, I, I think that's actually a really fair question. Um, and, and I think the Hickman X-Men run does get a little undersold, honestly, because House and Powers is so great. Right. So everyone takes that for granted. Um, but then it's like because the run was uneven and there are moments that definitely could hold up as being like, OK, he he actually this didn't really work super well. Um, there are issues within that X-Men run that are still some of the best stuff that is, if not my favorite stuff that is having post house and powers, right? Like X-Men number four, X-Men number seven, X-Men number, what's the ball one 18, you know, like there are moments in there that it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if Ewing hits those highs, frankly. Um, but he's consistently super, super great. Super, super great is the point. Uh, this issue ruled, like I said, Uh, We talked, you know, last week after Immoral X-Men number two about the reference to Mr. Sinister capturing Mystique. And uh, that was, in fact, confirmed. As to my reading of that here, you know, that was meant to reveal that Destiny did, in fact, lose Mystique. Uh, That's a big deal, right? Because basically Mystique didn't want to just live forever in a cage with Destiny, which is not surprising, (laughs) given everything we've ever seen about that character. So even in a reality where Destiny could foresee Avoiding Mystique's death, she couldn't, actually. She still loses her. It's tragic for Destiny, but kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. You know, she kind of sets herself up a little bit. I mean, based on that, Destiny shows up in this issue, does a 180, and comes to Storm to say, by the way, Storm's Storm's here, she's cool, Uh, say, okay, actually, we do have to end this timeline. (laughs) Previously, she was like, they were tricking Storm, and they were they were trying... Her and Orbis were working together to actually maintain the timeline and achieve dominion and live forever. And now Destiny's like, wait, no, I lost Mystique. That was the whole point of this. Uh, let's go back, right? We have to go back. So Storm appears to play along because the Empire of the Red Diamond, you know, they are, in fact, the Empire here, right? Like, sinister, the Sinisters are the ones in control. Terrible things have happened in their name. Planet Arako, first, first planet destroyed. All these things. Um, but what's cool here... Is Storm appears to go along with Destiny's scheme. We think she's going to blow up Orbis' plans. Uh, then they're going to they're going to have to kill the Moiras to reset the timeline. But Ewing takes a swerve, and it's brilliant. It's so smart. I really like the positioning here of Storm as the player in this era who will not play the games of resurrection, which is what we've seen throughout the Krakoa era to this point, and Moira's lifelines. No resets, no redos, no resurrections, just life. And here, the efforts do appear, ironically, I suppose, to lead to her death. By issue's end, and it's final, right? I mean, it's comics, so it's not. But, like, there's not going to be a resurrection. She's not coming back. She's not fighting for the reset for some grand visions. He says, this is the universe we have. This is the world we've made. We will fight for the life that is here. It's awesome. It makes so much sense. It's so refreshing, actually, to have a character. First off, it's a perfect fit for Storm. But it's really refreshing in an alternate reality to have a character who's like, "No, (laughs) What what are you talking about? Reset the timeline. Like that stuff is insane, right?" I think we've we've become so accustomed to the tropes of alternate reality that it it kind of is an inevitability that all the characters are eventually like, yeah, it's pretty bad here. Let's end everything we know and everyone we love for this alternate timeline where my consciousness is no longer around and I'm not here anymore. But in theory, this alternate (laughs) reality will have a better go of things? That's a ridiculous decision to make. Preposterous. Preposterous. And it's really refreshing. And you see it like in House of M., you see it by the end of Age of Apocalypse, though I, there I think it actually works pretty pretty fine. Um, but House of Adam is I think, is a good example. Uh, but here Storm's just like, no, like, we have life. We have a rebellion. We have things to fight for. We have hope. So we will stay here and fight for them. Oh, it's awesome. So good. So flipping good. Um, oh, it's comic rules. I, I really, really like this. Uh, it's interesting to consider at this point, too. You know, so Storm and Destiny win. I mean, really, Storm wins, right? Destiny gets her head chopped in half. <laughs> so they did kind of turn on her. It is interesting to consider at this point which Sinister in the game still has plans in motion with possibility for success, because this certainly seems to blow up Orbis Stellaris's plans. I mean, I'm guessing we'll still see them in year 1000, right? But as of year 100, like everything that we're planning, is pretty upended here. We have seen the seeds of Mother Righteous downfall being laid in Nightcrawler's, But at this point, she's still in the game and quite mysteriously shows up in this issue to talk to maybe a hero named Ironfire. No way of knowing, (laughs) if that's truly the name. Uh, So Mother Righteous is around, but like, I mean, I don't, don't, does anyone have money on Mother Righteous winning this thing? I certainly don't. And then there's Sinister Prime, right? The one we know and love from Krakoa, soaring the spaceways with Rasputin. It, it, It seems like, at the end of the day, we're going to come back to quote-unquote Sinister Prime driving and and resolving how we actually get to and out of Dominion and back to the timeline that we know and love. That seems like the most likely status, as opposed to Orbis Stellaris or Mother Righteous, who are totally new iterations, right? Um, and they'll be back, right? We're going to see all these Sinisters again once we once all these characters and we kind of get out of the of Sinister timeline, And we get into those before the fall of X comic. So before I do talk fall of X, get in your questions, get in your thoughts, get in your chats here. I'm going to take a swig. Let's see. What do we got today? We got some real clear looking water. This is big water from local, locally sourced via Chicago. I'm coming home via Chicago, right? You know that one? Uh, That's our locally sourced water today, uh, sponsored by Wilco. So, thank you to the water. Getting your chats, getting your thoughts. I'll be right back. Let's see. On the subject of Hickman versus Ewing, JD points out that is a false dichotomy. Apples and oranges. Hickman is the architect, Ewing is killing it on building out of the building. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I mean, it's a it's a forced dichotomy. <laughs> for the purposes of conversation. I don't know that it's a false dichotomy. I mean, the thing about Hickman is he's not just the architect. He is the architect, but he did also live in the building. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking of it in terms of comparing what did they both do inside the framework, and who would you take then? And then you have to factor in, okay, and Hickman built the building, right? You do have to consider that, but it's a good analogy. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely not off base. Um, let's see, Banksy says here, I prefer Hickman. Ewing space X-Men stuff just isn't hitting it for me as it is for others. I like the Arako stuff, but a lot of the other things I could do without. Oh man, breaking my heart. Breaking my heart, Banksy. So good. So like, what a bummer to not be into that because I like, what do you, I don't know. I guess everybody, that's the, that's the thing about this era, right? Is people have different tastes. I mean, we're gonna talk about this with Fall of X, but like Marvel is leaning all in on a Jerry Duggan-centric Fall of X event. Clearly the creator and writer in the driver's seat of this event. And we'll talk about the specifics of that. And one thing I see in, you know, sharing that information out socially is a lot, like, you see a lot of folks who are, like, bitter and not here for that. And then you see, honestly, just as many who are like, oh, great, his work's been awesome. So, as always, I have my thoughts, <laughs> and I will shape them and, and form them as coherently as possible. Um, but you will always find, especially in this Krakoa era, like counter feelings at a minimum, if not arguments. Um, so anyway, let's see. What else do we got here? Do, 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 do. James S asks, I wonder if Apocalypse died in the Genesis War. Yeah, the Genesis War has been referenced a handful of times now. Um, I, it does seem safe to say that probably Genesis and Apocalypse are off the board because of that, and I I, I don't know that we can read into that and say that's what's going to happen when Ewing does the Genesis War proper in the pages of X-Men Red. I suspect it very much will not. Things will play out differently in a non-Sins of Sinister timeline, uh, but I do think it probably means we're not going to see those characters in the Sins of Sinister specifically. That is my prediction, there. Jordan Lurie asks, do you think Orlando, meaning Steve Orlando, will have a new series for Fall of X? Unless you mean the Orlando Magic, who I do not think will have a playoff series for Fall of X. (laughs) Magic burn. Go Bulls. Uh, Would you read it? Listen, I really like Steve Orlando as a person. It was one of my first comic book Herald interviews. I think number four, actually. So, like, a creator who agreed to talk to me, who's written some of my favorite comics, flipping love Midnighter. Um, Come on. Huge fan. This Marauders run did not hit for me. Definitely didn't. Uh, It feels the most on the fringes of anything in print, I would say, in the X-Men line. Like, it just feels like it's very tenuously connected at best. The things that it's doing should be massive, you know, like it is, like the the last issue today, essentially retconned it so that the first mutants ever created, has it billions of years ago? I don't. I'm bad with time. Um, a long time ago, were were created by Kitty Pride and like in some ways Emma Frost. <laughs> like like that should be a huge deal, and it's kind of just not. Because it's trapped in in a really messy book, which is trying to do so much, like it is trying to do so much. It is trying to do mutants of prehistory, it is trying to do Shiar lore, and then it is trying to weave in X Men twenty ninety nine, and it is timey wimey in all the wrong ways. I think um, I just I could never bite in to this series. Uh, I think Orlando's a, has off to a much better start on Scarlet Witch. I think that is a book with a pretty clear vision and direction and purpose, at least for me as a reader, that I can bite into. Uh, So I'd be a little surprised, honestly. I think, you know, maybe you let Orlando sit into Scarlet Witch for a minute, see how long, like, because it'd be nice for Wanda to have a a solid long run here, I think. Um, I would read it for sure. I mean, it's, you'd have to, you'd have to go way down the list to find a printed X-Men comic in the Krakoa era that I'm like, I'm not even going to read that. Like, I don't... I, I mean, I probably wouldn't name it if I could think of it because it would be too mean, but, like, I don't think that book exists. There's there's no comic in this era that I would not even try. Um, I, I can't... I literally cannot think of what that might be. So, yes, I would read it, of course. Uh, let's see. JD asked via the super chat... Thank you for your support, JD... Mm-hmm. Loved Ewing's respect to continuity of Storm's lineage and callback to the Brood Saga, with her tapping into the cosmos to save her skin 40 plus years ago. Yeah, so Allie Ewing does lean into here uh, Storm's ma- literally magical ancestor. Uh, I believe her is oh, what is her Ashake. I want to say I did a whole video about it. Like when when folks talk about Storm being magic, she literally has like magical ancestry. Um, one of her great, great ancestors was, you know, could tap into the supernatural. And we also see a version of the character in the pages of the Magic miniseries uh, in, in the early 80s uh, post that first Belasco issue by Chris Claremont um, with an artist who I'm forgetting. And apologies there for creative credits. Uh, so that was cool. You know, I did also notice that, that the starship that Storm and the Brotherhood are on is the starship Ananke which is the name of the, like, matronly overseer of the Wicked and Divine in Kieran Gillen's probably most well-known creator on work with Jamie McKelvey. So I'm going to guess Anake has, like, actual real world... (laughs) Okay, the personification of fate or necessity in ancient Greek literature, but I feel like that's also good. definitely going to be a shout to Kieran Gillen, you know, his his collaborator and co-writer on The Sins of Sinister. Uh, So I appreciated that as well. Let's see. C asks, do you think Sinister has learned his lesson after this arc, or is it back to his old ways once this is over? I am fascinated by the post-Sins of Sinister, Sinister reaction to all of this. Um, Because if we reset things through the Moiras, then that, in theory, now sets the stage for Mr. Sinister to then have a Moira base that people don't know about and to try and play things out again, but in a different way, right? That doesn't resolve in the sins of Sinister. I kind of think that can work. I kind of think that can work because what you do then is you have told a massive Mr. Sinister story, but you also leave yourself the opportunity of returning to it in a different direction in the future, right? So I don't think it would be like the Focus again. I think that would probably be a mistake, um, because basically, you know, Sinister has been the central character, essentially, of Gillen's work on on X Men in this era. So I don't think they would do that. Um, but I, I mean, will he learn his lessons? No. This is not a character who learns lessons. There is no redemption arc for Mister Sinister. If there is, like that, is a comic I would have words with. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no redemption. Mr. Sinister. Uh, So yeah, he will absolutely be back to his old ways. The only way you avoid it (coughs) that I can think of right off the bat is Mr. Sinister does somehow achieve dominion. A reset occurs. We get everybody back, but Sinister is trapped in this dominion watching everything. Um, And that is how you could potentially set up or connect to those theories Or he tries to achieve a dominion and gets like a lesser version of that, which is where you would get that trickster god, that trickster titan, that Omega Sentinel mentions back in Inferno. Remember that one? (laughs) That's where you could connect those dots. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Because you could maybe kind of take Sinister off the board for a while, but still connect him to the massive Powers of X sci-fi of everything. I'm curious though. I'm curious. I think it's probably the most... Interesting question coming out of this event. Let's see. What else do we got? Questions, questions, questions. Here's one. um, Illithidlor asks, will this event mean anything? Or do you think they just hit the reset button and it's business as usual? That is a challenge with alternate realities. Um, I mean, at no point in reading this should we have expected it not to reset. So, like, that's on you as a reader if you thought we were here to stay. (laughs) You know, I think it's very clear um, that this is a timeline that is not going to stick around. That said, I think it's a valid question to be like, okay, but what will have happened from all of this? What will we have learned? And I think the answer there is going to be, well, who remembers any of it, right? Um, So you have Mr. Sinister as a possibility that we just discussed. What about Destiny? Can Destiny come back remembering any of this? Does anyone remember any of this? Because I mean, if we d- if we get back and it's the reset, and Sinister is like, whoa, not doing that again," um, and it's just him, yeah, I don't know. Then it's kind of just a really wild, potentially fun diversion that doesn't really do much, <laughs> you know? Uh, it alters Sinister, I guess, the most. And then maybe in altering that character, you alter his relationship with Destiny. Like, like it would be interesting if, you know, Gillen has set up in Immortal X-Men here that, like, Destiny is trying to get Sinister on their side. That Destiny is like, listen, the only way we win, and it seems to be in this event, I mean, kind of what we're saying is Destiny's version of winning here is really just any future that Mystique can survive. It's not really about the survival of mutant kind, Right. Um, but she's trying to get Sinister on her side. So could Dominion end with Mr. Sinister, you know, not not achieving redemption, right, or a resolution arc, but coming to Destiny and saying, okay, I'm ready, let's work together? I think that's a possibility. And then it would mean this event actually did go somewhere um, that, that continues to drive story moving forward. So I'd be into that. Let's see. See, and Birdtown suggests this storyline is going to eliminate Mr. Sinister... Uh, possibility. Possibility. It will not be the end of Mr. Sinister having any role in these stories. Too interesting, too essential a character, but do you take him off the board and not have Sinister stories for a while? Yeah, probably. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. Let's see. Alejandro says, Dave, I'm so glad I caught you live. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you being here. Got into comics again just a year or so before Powers and House, and you've been my guiding light in all this. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Glad you've enjoyed the guides and the commentary here. Much appreciated for you to come in and join. Okay, so here's what's to come. Let's talk Fall of X a little bit. Um, Two things were true, okay? We we saw a heavy tease, okay, recently this past week that Marvel is like, like we knew this was going to be a Jerry Duggan X-Men as a title spearheaded Fall of X, I think. I don't know that I had like fully grasped how all in Marvel was. On that, we're going to have a Jerry Duggan-written Hellfire Gala issue, which is going to set the stage for Fall of X. We're going to have his X-Men series. We're going to have Invincible Iron Man, which he's writing now, and Uncanny Avengers is launching. In the wake of the Hellfire Gala, Steve Rogers and the crew are going to say, you know what we need? We need a a mutant Avengers team again. It's worked out really well (laughs) the other two times. Let's try once more. It has not. It has not. For those of you who are not familiar, Works out very poorly every time. Um, That's four books that Duggan's writing, all building to Fall of X. Uh, So this feels like, okay, he didn't get to play in Sins of Sinister, right? This event is going to be the Jerry Duggan-centered event. Now, the X office will participate, I am sure, but uh, seems to be in the driver's seat. And regardless of your opinions about his X-Men run, Because, you know, I can cherry pick some stuff here that I really like. Early Marauders, Post House and Powers, Dawn of X, was like my favorite X-Men book. Until it wasn't. You know? And the X-Men run has had its moments. I've consistently said, if that's like your 4 or 5 hitter, really if that's like your 5 hitter, you're in decent shape. You've got a nice lineup. It's a solid, solid construction. But what I don't know that anyone is arguing or frankly can argue, is that your best option for driver's seat in the X office right now is the writer of X-Men. That is not true, right? You've got Kieran Gillen, you've got Al Ewing every month doing a 1A, 1B battle for (laughs) for who's got the best X-Men books, right? And of course, they're doing the Sins of Sinister event. So you're spreading the wealth a little bit, and you're spreading things out, and I'm sure Gillen and Ewing are going to have Involvement, probably significant involvement. Um, but it makes me nervous. It does. It makes me nervous because Fall of X feels like a pretty important book <laughs> for this era of X-Men. You know? <clears throat> like if this comes and goes and the status quo is like generally unaltered, I'm gonna be incredibly disappointed, you know. I mean, I talked about, like, there's not an X-Men book in the Krakow era that I wouldn't at least give a shot, but there are directions of the Krakow era where I just fade out (laughs) and say, all right, yeah, we had, you know, it was a nice promise, but here we are. Um, I I think it's going to upend the status quo. I mean, I think two things are true. One, Fall of X will not be the end of the X-Men era, House of X and Powers of X set in motion. I just, there's no case where I see that happening, but two, it is the right time to completely disrupt the status of Krakoa, status quo, rather, of Krakoa on Earth, on Earth, being the operative words there, and this event should do that. I think it should, and it can and should. Um, The most common concern I see from fans a lot of times is, like, that the X-Men are going back to the mansion, right, that fall of X is going to happen, and then it's going to be, like, a real hard reset where it's like, oh, we're all just playing softball in the yard again. There is no way (laughs) there is absolutely no way that that is what is being cooked up. Truly, I promise you, I will check out entirely along with you if that's what's happening, but there is no way. (laughs) That would be so unimaginative. And you have genuinely talented, smart people in this creative office right now. There is a 0% chance, less than 0 they're just going to casually go back to the mansion and play some softball again, okay? Eventually, at some point, is Marvel editorially going to mandate and sort of drive back to a, quote-unquote, back to basics? Yes, they always do that. That is the history of a publisher that never stops, okay? After Grant Morrison's new X-Men, the most interesting, progressive, game-changing X-Men book in how many years... They immediately <laughs> retconned, like, everything and tried for the most nostalgic back-to-basics approach you could kind of pull off, um, including the the return of Chris Claremont, which is, like, the absolute most, like, we're going back, you know, to an iconic run, but you can't recapture the past. Sorry, you just can't. Uh, so it'll happen eventually, but we are not there yet. We are not there yet. Um, I'm certain of it. Uh, how am I certain? Just, like, comics history, vibes. <laughs> it's it, This is a Dave Steney lock. This is a Dave Stoney lock. Um, but, I mean, I am nervous about Fall of X. Just, just in terms of, like, quality and direction of all that. Now, Duggan as a creator, I mean, like I said, Marauders was my favorite book. Like, Dawn of X, early. Um, the first Hellfire Gal with Pepe LeRoz ruled. Everybody loved that book. So, this is a creator who has stepped up. And, I, you know, I've said this a number of times, but, like, I think as a Marvel Universe creator, they are rock solid, but not spectacular. I mean, almost never spectacular. I think Like, the Hellfire Gala would be an exception, not the rule. Um, and I liked a lot. Like, Duggan's creator-owned stuff, a lot of it can be really good. There's work there that I'm like, yeah, this is this is a talented writer. I'm not knocking, like, the capacity for good comics here. OK, rock solid means good. This is a rock solid Marvel Universe creator. But I think this elevation to absolute star of the show, number one creative talent that kind of keeps happening is strange. It's strange. It just like like it's not accurate. <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, it reminds me, I mean, it's a sports analogy, but like Derek Rose gets hurt and Bulls fans are sitting there talking themselves into Nate Robinson is the second coming for a championship. And it's like, this is not a championship caliber <laughs> star. It's just not. It's like some, some individuals are stars. You have superstars, you have stars, and then you have just like very talented, good players. Which tier would you put the X-Men creators? Right? We have a lot of evidence. We have a lot of comics to go on. In that regard. So all of that makes me nervous. Nervous about the fall of X. That said, that said, it's gonna be an all-hands-on-deck affair. There's gonna be everyone playing in this, I have to think. And everyone's gonna have to bring their A game. I mean, I do feel like it's a, a put-up or shut-up kind of event, frankly, um, to kind of put the Krakow era to the test. And in that regard, I'm very excited for it. You know, I mean, nothing, nothing forces creativity and the potential for really high quality story, like having your back against the wall and feeling like I've got to do this. There's no way out, you know, and of course you can, you can absolutely collapse under the pressure, right? Which is what I would do. Just like if I'm, if I'm up 20 to 18 in ping pong and I need one point, guarantee I lose those next four points absolute lock. I will collapse under the slightest bit of pressure (laughs) no hesitation okay we'll see what the x office can do um but I do think like listen by the time fall of x comes out we're talking a full four years of Krakoa era comics and it's a put up or shut up moment fall of x has to be great it does you can't just keep kicking the can down the road um so so I'm nervous but I'm excited about the potential of it, and, and I I I want to get there. I want to get there, and I want to see what they have planned. Um, the Hellfire Gallup promises, like, a lot. It is promising disruption, chaos, deaths. Um, you know, there could be some big things in store, and I, I hope, I truly hope that's, that's the case. Um, and I kind of think it will be. I do kind of think it will be. So, you know, high expectations. All right, getting your thoughts and then I will talk about uh, Jonathan Hickman and Grant Morrison on the X-Men 60th anniversary special. Let's see. JJ asks, I wonder if Hickman's Ultimate Universe event will clash with Krakoa Comics at all. I think the answer is no. Um, during an X-Men Monday in the post-Hickman interim, I asked via Chris Hassan, will you in any way be interacting with Krakoa again? And his answer was essentially no. Um, maybe we Maybe we'd see it. Maybe we'll get a panel of Professor X because he's, you know, going to be a part of the Illuminati, right? Coming from Krakoa. But I don't think it will, like, cross over in a a genuine story sense. Uh, Adrian here says, I love your sports analogies. Thank you, Adrian. You're my favorite in the whole chat. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Let's see. Any other interesting questions? JJ says, X-Men comics are still the Bucks or Sixers of comics going to win it all. Uh, If you say the Bucks, I buy it. If you say the Sixers, no chance. Bulls just destroyed the Philadelphia 76ers in double OT two nights ago. They're playing them again today. Uh, go Bulls, baby. Making a hot run here for the 10 seed. It could be a hell of a playing team. tell you what. I tell you what. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone here is saying, like, we, you know, I think Kieran Gillen <laughs> might be a better, a better, like, head of X. Al Ewing might be a better head of X. Yeah, like, it's not a question. It's not a question. It's not a debate. Certainly not an interesting one, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I what I hesitate to do here is to say like, you know, it, this isn't some sort of like hostile takeover, right? This isn't like like one person like bogarting the X Men line and kicking other people out. Like everyone's playing, everyone's going to be collaborating. I have no doubt of that. Um, the fear or the concern is that like. All the flip and build up is in one person's books. I guess you have those before the fall books too. So I don't know. It's just going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, Yeah, James says, I'm betting the Sinister of Clubs, I think a.k.a. Dr. Stasis, right? Gets to make the big move for Orcus at the Hellfire Gala. That feels very likely, especially given that Dr. Stasis has no role in Sins of Sinister. You know, it was almost comically taken out of the equation. Uh, that feels incredibly likely. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for that theory. Definitely. Aditya points out, I like the Dugan X-Men because while it is a product of the Krakoa era, it feels way more like a classic superhero series than the other X-Books right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, that's a knock on it. Like, for me, that's the criticism, is this is supposed to be the era of breaking all the rules and doing things that couldn't have been done, not in the Krakoa era. But if you're here for that and you want that, that's what it does, and it's rock solid at it. The other asks, I heard Apocalypse and his family are coming back. Will this be during Fall of X, before or after? There's going to be a Before the Fall book written by El Ewing that is going to talk about the Apocalypse family. So that should be Before the Fall of X. Let's see. Okay. I think that's all the questions. All right, so final thoughts here. Uh, Jonathan Hickman and Graham Morrison were on the X-Men 60th anniversary special, which was broadly uh, just kind of a cool setup to see like all your favorite X-Men creators. Uh, This was the Marvel Unlimited exclusive Zoom call, basically, uh, where we got to see a live stream of Chris Claremont, Louis Simonson, Walt Simonson, uh, the X-Men Animated Series crew, and uh, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, and then Hickman and Grant Morrison towards the end. And it was all pretty pretty much what you'd expect. Um, There were some little tidbits and things here that I could talk about. But the one thing that stood out to me the most, and the thing that got me in the most trouble, (laughs) was there was one interesting question asked. And it was a listener who asked, was the plan always for Moira X to be a villain? And Hickman sounding mildly annoyed (laughs) said, no, you know, that wasn't the plan that changed much later. Now, listen, I haven't gone back and and reviewed the tape, but in the moment I was like, oh, okay. Kind of a weird way to answer that. Could have actually what, what he did is first he said, I'm not going to talk about stories that other people are working on, which is where I thought the answer would stop. Because if it just stopped there, I'd have been like, yeah, okay. He said that a number of times. But then it kept going. (laughs) And he says, no, that wasn't the plan. That changed much later. The tenor of it and the fact that he didn't caveat it at all to say like that changed much later as we collaborated in the X office or as I talked to the writer of X Lives of Wolverine, Benjamin Percy about where this character was going. Like, there was no additional information. (laughs) Nothing was filled in. And it just had this vibe of, like, of him basically saying, like, no, that wasn't the plan. And that makes it sound like it wasn't his plan. And if it's not his plan, and it's changed later, that is at odds with everything that had been reported, and that fools like me get on mic and defend. Because we're all up here saying, no, it's a bit, Hickman's exodus is, you know, it's not a feud. It's not the big dramatic leave that, that would be the, you know, the rock, <laughs> you know, throwing, throwing stones at the DCEU that people want to eat up, right? It's not that kind of gossipy thing. It's just like a separation that happened naturally, <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, but, but the way he answered was kind of like, wait, was it not that? So I tweeted as much. Always a mistake. <clears throat> Always a mistake. As some folks pointed out to me, and uh, as, as, I, you know, kind of thought about it more. Everything that has been reported, including Chris Sassan's very good X-Men Mondays, said that this was a story, X-Lies Wolverine in the direction from y was a, a thing that was collaborated on and worked on between Jonathan and the X-Office, specifically Benjamin Percy, um, prior to his leaving. That is every report <laughs> that you will find on the matter for Hickman to, in an interview now, on a live stream celebrating X-Men's 60 years, um, to come out and be like you know, they're doing something different, uh, would be, that would be dramatic. And that is not what he said. And that is not what happened. So I probably read the tea leaves a little too heavily. Probably, probably got a little too into the body language (laughs) on that one. You could also make an interesting case that I was also watching March Madness and my kids while all this happened. So (laughs) listen, was it my most attentive read of a situation? Probably not. Probably not. So Kind of the end of the story here is it seemed like a big deal. Like, there was genuinely, like, an hour where I was, like, depressed. (laughs) Which might sound super weird if you're not obsessed with X-Men comics. Um, But it really makes a difference. It really makes a difference, the idea that this direction for Moira X, again, the coolest retcon in House and Powers, uh, is, is, like, still on target, you know? That like this is a thing that is still part of the plan. uh, Because it doesn't feel that way. You know? And I am willing to take on just like barely at this point. But like I am willing to have a little bit of faith that there's an idea in place. And that's actually pretty essential to this, to this era continuing to be as exciting as it can be. You know? Um, so anyway. The, the, the real problem with all that was when I shared the quote, which was like, you know, was the plan for Moira to be a villain? And Hickman said, no, that changed that came much later. Folks in the comments pretty quickly took that to mean he was disavowing it. And then that led to like, you know, hate and, and just nastiness towards, you know, the writer Ben Percy, right? Who's writing, wrote the X-Lives, like who picked up the mantle of Moira and who I celebrate for picking up that mantle because someone needed to do it. Um and that's that's not something I support at all. I hate that stuff. Absolutely hate that stuff. So that's something that I want to watch out for a little bit more is like it's a hard thing. It really is. It's a hard thing to get up here and talk about these works and you want to acknowledge all the creative contributions because you know, we've been told the history of the medium is the creators getting taken out of the equation and screwed over. Right? So like it's important to me to mention all the creators, but then if you're being critical of a work, I'm simultaneously then like, I don't just want to be mean <laughs> and nasty to someone. And seven, certainly with like a mild bit of, of eyes on me, whatever audience I do have, right, I do not want to in any circumstances be directing a hate and anger and nastiness towards those people, right? These are real human beings and these are their jobs and that stuff is absolutely not warranted. So, I hate that that happens, um, and I don't want to be a part of that specifically, you know. So when I'm talking about, for example, just recently, right, I'm talking about Jerry Duggan as you know the head of the Fall of X. It's not a personal. Con- I'm not trying to have a personal conversation, um, and and I think fans often forget that, uh, and it's it's a tricky thing, right? Um, but this is not like, yeah, it's not personally driven by any measure. Uh, so it's a hard thing, though, because, I, you know, the, the opposite is something I see a lot that, that kind of increasingly irritates me, which is this attitude of like, well, let's just enjoy things and let's only have fun. <clears throat> and listen, po- there is a much greater need and place for positivity than there is for negativity, I think, in the world broadly, but certainly just in comics and in fandom. And it's like, yes, these things should be fun. We should be here enjoying these things. You know, we should be celebrating Al Ewing. Like, I I guess the thing for me, though, is I want to simultaneously celebrate Al Ewing and Storm and the Brotherhood, number two, and talk openly and honestly about how Marauders isn't working for me. And the challenge is to do so, again, not in these kind of dramatic, angry tones that get the most attention, and to try to actually, you know, foment usable thoughts, (laughs) easier said than done, easier said than done. Um, so that's what I try to do here. I hope you all appreciate that. Um, but I, I do, I just, I keep seeing this thing. It's like, you know, you, you can really overdo the, everything is great. And we, we only celebrate comics. It's like, you can have critical thoughts like my God, like you can, you can not like things. It's okay. I do think dwelling in that is, is a problem. Um, both for your own mental health and in terms of the audience you're cultivating. I mean, I I always talk about this, but like I wrote for CBR for a year and a half, circle like 2016, 2017. So this is like downfall of CBR era, okay? And I got in because I was like, I can get paid to write about comics, cool. I'll try that out. So I tried it out. I mean, I'm simultaneously doing CBH, right? I didn't need this, I was fine. But like, I was like, I'll try it. And CBR's whole mission at that time was to generate as much social attention, social media attention and organic search attention as possible through the use of basically hate and dislike, right? They were really trying to monetize anger and fan rage. So it would be, you know, 15 reasons to hate this Wolverine <laughs> or whatever, you know? And I didn't write any articles like that, but on the stuff that I wrote, like they they had so... They had, they had reaped what they had sown and they got all the eyeballs in the world doing stuff like that, all sorts of traffic. Right. But then what happens is your audience is now just angry all the time. (laughs) Those are the people that you have brought into your net. So like, I remember I wrote an article around that time and it was like 15 reasons. Laura Kinney's a better Wolverine than Logan. (laughs) Okay. Mildly controversial to begin with. Um, Obviously you can see where that might have upset some fans, given there is a, a Wolverine who has been Wolverine for 30 years at that point. And it's honestly not even something I necessarily even believe that heartfelt, felt, right? It's just kind of like, oh, that's a topic. I can write that. I can defend that. Um, and I like that character, right? But it wasn't like, this wasn't like a passion project, you know? Um, but anyway, you know, you post that thing. And like, it was one of my earliest ones. So at that time, I was curious, like, what are the comments look like? Holy smokes. The nastiest, just like grossest, view into the the just slimy nethers of fandom that I had ever seen like it was repulsive forget the commentary about me just the commentary about the possibility of a woman as Wolverine what that reflected about the state of Marvel Comics right it was gross truly well and truly I had to stop reading the comments after that too just for my own mental health and then not too long after I just got out of CBR entirely because what was the point but uh you know, and, and that's something that on CBH, like, my whole mission is, like, I'm going to help people get into comics. Like, that is the point It's like, to be the world's most helpful website. Um, and same on the YouTube channel here. So I don't encounter or hadn't at that point encountered a lot of that, like, fan rage, hate stuff. It's one of those things where it's, like, I know it exist. And I'm also, like, I'm privileged. Like, I'm, you know, a, a white guy talking about these comics. Like, I just inherently benefit from that privilege. Um, so I hadn't seen as much of that stuff. And that was an eye-opener. That was an eye-opener. Absolutely. Uh, all of which is to say, at no point in time do I want to be driving a ship through CBH that is trying to cultivate or benefit from that hatred and that anger. And, and I mean, come on. Look around YouTube and you, you know. Like, if you're listening to me and you listen to any of the other X-Men stuff out there, you all know which ones are trying to monetize the rage. And which one's just like talking about comics. You can tell. So, all right. <clears throat> I don't know how I can got started on that, to be honest. Any final thoughts? Any final questions? I will address them here. Xavier says, that's pretty wise, Dave, but I'm still angry at Leifeld's feet. How would, you, how would you know to be angry? You've never seen them. <laughs> They've never appeared on page. Uh, you know who brings, I, Rob Liefeld brings just an insane passion. For comics, it is it is a shame that he seems to have sort of forsworn modernity <laughs> and new comics and creators. Because I really think he could be like like the second coming of Stanley in terms of an evangelist for comics, just based on passion and attitude. Um, but I don't think he has has the interest in supporting the medium uh, in that way. Let's see. Justin says never look at the comments. You know what though? <laughs> like on Comic Herald that is not a problem. Generally speaking on the Combo YouTube channel, I can read the comments. Um, they're 90% positive, 5% negative and 5% really weird. <laughs> so, all right. I, I appreciate you all, um, joining here live. I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, I, you know, I said I wasn't going to be here this week. And of course I lied and it went even longer than usual. Uh, let's see what's coming out next week. And is there any chance that I want to do a live stream about it again? Let's see. We got Deadpool number five. We got invincible Iron Man beating up Phalong of Orcus. We got, I mean, that's, that's kind of the other thing about fall of X that I, I didn't really say, but I should have, which is like, okay. Invincible Iron Man is kind of like, basically like an X-Men comic at this point. Uh, Sabretooth in the Exiles number five. That feels like a must read. And Captain Britain, number two. All right, there's enough coming out. We'll be here next week. Hell or high water. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, enjoy the con.